Hello everyone, it's great to be with you at the second Akada Children's Book Festival. My name is Olubumi Aboderi Talabi and I'm a children's picture book author as well as the publisher of Clever Clogs Books and the convener of the Akada Children's Book Festival. Once again, welcome. So, right now, I'm going to be talking about writing engaging children's books. So many people uh, send me messages uh, through Instagram or, or Twitter um, asking me uh, to mentor them, that you know, they, they inform me of their enthusiasm about writing for children and they ask me to, um, to share some ideas and some tips with them. So it's it partially in response to that that um, I put the, these slides together just summarizing what I understand and what I apply when I am writing um, my children's books. So far, I've published um, a number of them, um, including the Toby series that consists of Toby Visits the Conservatory, Diary of a Toddler, Toby Bakes a Cake, and the recently released Toby Learns to Swim. I've also written uh, Cobb the Antelope, illustrated by Awa Ali, and um, why do you wash your hands as well, um, which comes out in, um, which is available, excuse me, in uh, different indigenous languages as well as in English. So, writing engaging children's books. I'm gonna tell you what I'm gonna tell you, and then I'm gonna tell you, and then I'm gonna tell you what I told you, all right? So, there's seven points to remember, seven points. If you're taking notes, now is a good time to get out your paper, your notepad, your pencil, or you know, bring out your iPad and start taking notes from this point, all right? Seven points to remember. Number one, detail. If you want to write engaging children's books, you need to pay attention to detail, and I'll explain in a bit. Number two, decide. You are going to have to be very specific and make decisions about what type of book, what category, and so on and so forth that you want to write for, um, about and for. Number three, read. You are going to have to read copious amounts of industry material even before you get to number four. And number four is to write. Did you notice that? The first thing, uh, an engaging children's book, is not to actually start writing, but to think first. It's number four. Writing is number four. You think first. You look at the you, you look at the detail. You decide what category, what age, what purpose. Whether you want to self-publish or seek a publisher. You read, and then after you've done those things, you start to write. So write is number four. Number five is select. You select your illustrator very carefully. Number six is edit. Edit, yes, edit. It's not a bad word, it's not a dirty word. It's actually quite essential um, in the book writing process, particularly if you want to write engaging children's books. There's some people who have sent me their books. Uh, they want me to read it, uh, uh, to read what they've written, or want me to read them. And even though many times the concept is great, the books are just simply you know, too voluminous um, to be engaging for children. So a little bit more about that in a minute. 
And then uh, number seven is sales, because what's the point of doing all this work and you're not able to sell the books? You're not writing those books to keep them in your garage. You actually want people to read them. You want to be able to sell them. So those are the seven uh, points that I'm going to be talking to you about during this workshop. Detail, decide, read, write, select, edit, and sales. All right, so here we go. Number one, detail. You need to research the sector. You need to understand the different types of children's books. There are board books, there are picture books, there are picture story books, there are books for early readers, there are young adult YA books, there are bedtime story books, there are read aloud books, and there are school books. So I have lots of different examples of books here, which I'm gonna be, um, I'm gonna use these for my um, illustration. So lots of different types of books. Board books are the hard books. Some of them, you know, have toys in them, they have sound, um, they are difficult to destroy. You know what babies are like, you know, young children, when they get a hold of a book, you know, they have a tendency to want to explore, you know, and then after a while the books become like this. So the reason for board books is partially to make them less destructible, um, uh, more durable um, during the early years, all right? So board books, picture books are books with ample pictures and, you know, fewer words and so on and so forth. Early reader books are books that are, you know, they have pictures, they have words, but they're easy to read and they're good for children transitioning out of picture books before they get into, you know, full on chapter books. Um, this is a, an example of a chapter book, uh, though it's still an easy read chapter book. It's an excellent book, by the way. Um, yeah, read aloud books are books that are specifically written to be read aloud. Like most of my Toby series books, they're all written to be read aloud. Um, and then school books, textbooks and things like that. So decide what type of book you want to write. Then think about the age group that you're trying to appeal to. And you may think it doesn't matter. I just want to write for children. But what you're going to write for children who are zero to three quite different to what you write for children who are 7 to 13, different to what you write for children who are 2 to 4, 3 to 8, or 5 to 9. Depending on which country you're in or which publisher you're speaking to, they may um, categorize the ages um, in different segments. But broadly speaking, you the segments are 0 to 3, 2 to 4, 3 to 8, 5 to 9, 7 to 13. So you do your research and you decide which age group your book is intended for. Next is your word count. You don't need to write 30,000 words for a picture book. In fact, there's some books that have zero words, right? And they're just pictures. Those are like early baby books. Just you know, different images to explain. Let's see if I have um, something that does that. All right, so I like languages. And um, in order to encourage different languages at home, whenever um, I had the opportunity to travel abroad, I look 
um, I go to their bookstore, even if I don't speak the language, this for example is Turkish, and um, I pick up the, their baby books because they're great ways of, you know, figuring out language, teaching language to young children. Um, the image is there, you can see what it is, the word is there, um, but some of them don't even have words, they have the images. This is an example of the type of book um, that you would get for someone that's zero to three. A question that I get frequently is what book should I get for my child? Depending on the age, you need to pick appropriately. So some books, they have no words. Some books have less than 300 words. Like this one. This one is less than 300 words. All right. So it just has... Um, giant pictures, very, very few words. And then some books have less than 500 words. This one would fall into that category of less than 500 words. So it would look something like this, right? And then some other books are up to a thousand words. So you would have this one, for example, um, and so on and so forth. So it depends on the type of book, depends on the age you're writing for, and then you need to decide what's your genre. Are you a here and now realist like me? Like most of my books, all the Toby books are here and now realism. They're set in modern day Lagos, Nigeria, um, and they detail the day-to-day -day life of a young um, girl living with her parents in Nigeria. Here and now realism, right? Some people may think, no, I want to do fantasy. I want to write, um, you know, Marvel comic type things, which is great. But you just need to decide what it is that you're writing and then run with it. Some people want to do adventure books. Some people want to do nonfiction books like self-help books for children or something like that, which is a, incidentally um, a market worth exploring. Um, a lady that does those really well, um, Constance Omaomi um, Kolalawal, she does some really great non-fiction um, useful books for children that talk about things like safety at home and, and the environment and, and, and so on and so forth. So that's point number one, detail. Research the sector, know the type of book you want to write, know the age group that you're targeting, Figure out what the word count is for an ideal book for that age group and then your genre. What style of book are you writing? So let's move to number two. Number two is decide. Um, decide. You've researched the sector. You've seen everything that's um, all the various options that are available or you've seen as many of them as you could find. Now you need to decide and you need to be very strict with yourself once you've made your decision. So am I going to write a baby book? Am I writing a book like this, like this AB, you know, ABCD book in Igbo, right? Am I writing a book like this? You decide. So zero to few words. I mean, so yeah, zero to few words, fully pictorial, you know, integrated toy if you need to have a toy. You know, music, if you want to have music, you know, if they press it and it makes a sound, that kind of a thing. Decide, are you after a book like this? Well, if you are, then your process needs to fit this format. 
you're looking for great illustrations, you're looking for, you know, sturdy material and so on and so forth, right? You're looking for published uh, printers who can handle um, these various gadgets at an affordable rate. Are you going for toddler books, something for children aged one to three? If you're going for a toddler book, something like this, words under 300, um, uh, you know, under 300, under 300 word count. So if you're going for a toddler book, that's what you're doing. You keep it simple. You use things that are familiar, things that, um, a toddler would necessarily recognize and be attracted to and so on and so forth. Next one, a picture book. Some, some books, by the way, straddle, you know, toddler books, many toddler books are also picture books. Picture books, 500 words. Some picture books, you know, want to stray beyond that. Well, I guess it depends on if it's a fiction or a non-fiction picture book. So, Fiction picture books for children's between the ages of four to eight. Non-fiction picture books are still okay for children up to the age of 10 um, because it helps them understand uh, more complicated uh, concepts. And uh, some school books, some books that talk about the body or you know medical issues, they're picture books, but they're aimed at slightly older children. Um, so, those kinds of books, they can range right up to maybe like, say, 2,000 words, all right? Picture books, the page range for those are between 32 and 48 pages, depending on if it's fiction or non-fiction. Um, usually, for those kinds of picture books for this age group, there's a protagonist, there's a hero, right? There's somebody specific that they can relate to, perhaps. Um, the, it's very easy to read. It's easy to read aloud. Please have mercy on parents who do bedtime story. Um, if your, if your chapters are too dense, if they're too many words, it becomes difficult to get through the whole book in one sitting. Um, color illustrations and so on and so forth. All right. So we've given, uh, this is an example of a picture book or my new book, Toby Learns to Swim is another good example of a picture book. Okay, so let's talk about transition books. So these are books for children between the ages of six and nine. They are at that age when they have um, read all the picture books in the house and, you know, in the library and they're starting to explore and they want to look at things that are a little bit more challenging. So an example I usually give for an excellent transition book is Enos Story by Ayodele Olofichuade and Bolaji Liadi. Great book. Um, a complicated, difficult subject, but told in a manner that is very relatable and very engaging um, for children. You can see how many times we've read this book. This is our personal, you know, the, you know, the copy in our house and see, <laughs> see it's dog-eared. So um, the point is that, you know, you have these beautiful transition books. They still have nice pictures, color pictures in them, but they're written in chapters now. They've moved away. Have you know, did you notice, by the way, that picture books do not have chapters? Um, you know, it may be an obvious, it may seem obvious for some, but for some, you know, you may not realize that, but picture books don't have chapters. They just, you know, have pages. And in fact, quick point for fiction picture books, bedtime story books. They don't, they, they don't usually have page numbers either. 
all right? It's really books that are used for schools, uh, maybe textbooks and things like that, or maybe in specific countries, if, you know, if, if that's the requirement, then fine. But generally speaking, bedtime storybooks don't have page numbers. Um, but um, I know here in Nigeria, you know, it's more like a, a requirement that we have uh, uh, page numbers, but usually they, you know, picture books don't have page numbers. Anyway, chapter books are in chapters, chapter one, chapter two, chapter three, and so on and so forth. And um, these transition, these transition books, they are uh, less than 2,000 words, you know, 64 odd pages, you know, this one is 46, but up to 64 pages max for a transition book. Short chapters, there's action, there's dialogue, simple sentences, usually one idea per sentence still, um, two, two to five sentences in every paragraph, Fewer illustrations like this one has, it looks like it has one. Yeah, it has two, two per chapter. And um, what else? Sometimes the illustrations are in black and white. This one happens to be in colors, excellent book. Then after the transition books, you have full on, full blown chapter books. Um, I'm going to use this as an example of a, of a chapter book, though chapter books can typically be longer than this. This is a chapter book that would be ideal for a child between the ages of seven and ten. All right. And by the way, just so you know, I don't have any stake in any of these. Uh, well, except for my own books, I don't have a stake in these other books that are not Clever Clogs books. They're, I'm just talking about them because they're brilliant books and really useful um, for um for my illustration and in many times I haven't even met um, I don't know the authors personally or I haven't met them um, but these are great books and I think great books should always be um, touted so that's what I'm doing all right so this one Afro the girl with the magic hair by Oke Chuku or Philly is a good example of a chapter book for children ages 7 to 10 um, approximately 10,000 words less than five pages per chapter like when we started um, reading this for during bedtime story time, you would do a chapter at night. Um, and then after a while it became, okay, I would read a chapter and then, you know, my child would read a chapter, that kind of a thing. Excellent book for building up grammar and, you know, having conversations around, you know, topic and, and what have you. So less than five pages per chapter, short sentences and paragraphs, slightly more intricate plot, cliffhangers, you know, at the end of chapters. Next, you have middle grade books, okay? That's for children between the ages of eight to 12. And again, these um, segments vary by country, by publisher, and so on and so forth. So I'm just giving you the broad, in the broadest terms possible. So these books can be between 30,000 to 60,000 words. And right now, they are considered to be books in the sweet spot. Um, in as much as there are not that many books um, for children in this age range. Um, I think a lady, Victoria um, Inegbedion, um, released a book this year called um, The A-Files. Pretty good book, would fit into this middle grade, you know, YA-ish um, type range. So 30,000 to 60,000 books, uh, words, excuse me. Um, it has subplots, it has twists, you know, things are going in this direction, then suddenly it changes and it goes in a different direction. Um, it's thematic. Sometimes there are a group of heroes, not just one protagonist. Like for most picture books, you'll just find there's one, you know, one hero, one central character. And um, these types of books cover all genres, okay? Um, other examples, things like the famous five books. 
and so on and so forth. These adventure adventure type books um, would fit into this uh, category, you know, Mallory Towers, those those kinds of things. Um, so you have the middle grade books, and then after that, you have your young adult books or YA books, and that's for children ages 12 and above, and they could be between 70,000 to 90,000 words. Um, word counts are important. You may be wondering, uh, Kinney Big Steals, right? <laughs> Sorry <laughs> to speak our language here, but it is a big deal because you need your work to be engaging. There is no point trying to write a book for a three-year-old that has 90,000 words. There's no point giving a three-year-old a book with 90,000 words to read because it will not sustain their interest. It will not engage them. And your goal is to make reading interesting. It's to inspire a love of reading. And one of the ways to do that is to find age-appropriate books and it is to create age-appropriate books. So we've discussed one, which is to um, look at the detail, look at, research your sector in detail. And number two is to decide Having looked at all the detail, make your decision about what it is you want to actually do. Um, so we have the baby books, the toddler books, the picture books, the transition books, the chapter books, the middle grade books, and the YA books, all right? A little bit more about the YA books. They're usually complex. They have multiple headliners, but there's usually a star. Um, a lot of them deal with teenage issues um, um sci-fi sometimes fantasy sometimes so an example of that would be the book by um uh, Adeyemi, i think tommy Adeyemi, uh, children of blood and bone that would be an example of that okay so let's move on to number three so third point if you want to write an engaging children's book is to read read copious amounts of industry material so read books for children of all ages, read books from different countries, read books written by other authors in your country. Read, 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 read. By reading, you develop your own communication skills, your own writing skills. You familiarize yourself with what's out there. Look at like the New York Times bestseller list or visit your local bookstore and ask uh, the sales assistant which books are really moving. Take a look at those books and figure out why. Figure out why. Or even like um, um, in Lagos, we have people that sell books uh, sometimes in traffic. You know, strike up a conversation with one of them and ask them, you know, which books sell. Find out why. Ask them why, you know. If they know why, just, just listen to their opinion. Listen to the opinion of other people and just read copious amounts of material. Another point I want to mention about reading is it is by reading that you discover the various awards and prizes that are available for writers in your category. Now, some people may even write specifically towards um, particular awards. There's the NLNG, um, Nigeria Prize for Literature, that comes up, um, I think it's annual, but for children's books, I think it's, it's um, every other year um, uh, that it comes up. Um, last year it was given to um, a YA writer, but it would be nice to see that book actually given to a children's book writer. All right, so read up and find details on all of these different um, awards that are out there. There's the Golden Baobab Award. Um, there's the um, uh, Children's Africana Book Awards. 
there's the Caldecott Awards, the New York Times bestseller, there's the uh, Moonbeam Children's Book Awards. There are lots and lots and lots of different accolades, awards, prizes available to different categories of children's book writers. So you find out about these things, you find out about the deadlines, you find out about the criteria by reading, all right? So that's all part of number three, which is to read. Number four is to write. My advice, you don't start writing until you've done all your research, you've decided what you're going to write, you've read up as much as you can, and it's a continual thing, it never ends, right? You keep reading. Number four, you write. Step four, not step one. Can't emphasize that enough. What you write needs to be relatable. Something that the child or something that children are familiar with already. For example, Toby visits the conservatory. That book is popular with children who visited the conservatory because they can put themselves in the place of Toby and they can say, oh yes, we saw the fish as well. We saw the giant tortoise and things like that. Um, I know there's one parent who tells me that her son He's always so excited whenever he goes there and he carries the book along and you know he audits the book with everything that he sees he's like oh yes okay so the next thing we're gonna see is the giant chessboard and all of that so the point is when the child can associate with what they see in the book particularly with the younger children it helps them gravitate towards the book it makes it more engaging for them all right now adults we see the world from up here right but children, they see the world from, from where they are, from their point of view. You need to consider the child's point of view when you are writing, and you need to consider the language that you're using to make sure that it's something that the child can relate to. There's no point using, you know, 10 syllable words um, in a book for a two-year-old. It's not quite gonna gel. Um, so keep it simple. Keep it brief. You know, I can think of a couple of examples of books that have great concepts, you know, but they're just too wordy, right, for children's books. And then they're too colorful for, for you know, regular chapter books. So they're sort of stuck, you know, not quite in one and not quite in another. So keep it brief, keep it simple. And by the way, if you have any questions, do please type the questions into the chat box on your screen. Okay, and we will do our best to answer the questions as soon as possible. Um, you can also DM me um, at Clever Clogs Book or at Bumi Abodani Talabi on Instagram, all right, with your questions, and we'll try and answer as quickly as possible. So, we're gonna move on to number five, all right? So, I hope you remember the first four detail, decide, read, write. Now I'm moving on to number five, which is select. So you've done your writing and you've already done your research. You've decided that you want to self-publish. If you want to self-publish, you need to now select your illustrator. If you're going to a publisher to publish your manuscript, you don't need to worry about the illustrator, the publisher, will take care of that. But if you're gonna self-publish, you need to select your illustrator. And the illustrator you select needs to be chosen carefully. 
because some illustrators understand how to do illustrations that are attractive to children, others simply do not. It's not their fault, you know, they just weren't created that way. It's not their interest, they're not interested. So there's no point trying to force a round peg into a square hole. So look for illustrators who naturally gravitate towards doing things for children anyway, and um, you're more likely to find compatibility than, you know, for one that's specializing in, you know, horror graphic novels or something like that, right? So select your illustrator carefully. So for me, I've worked with, I think, four different illustrators so far. Um, Nicola Anderson is a lady who's done most of my books, um, Diary of a Toddler. I like her style, she gets me. Um, an illustrator can enhance your work or frustrate your work. You know, the reason why I, I've worked with Nicola repeatedly is because she understands um, what I write, she understands what I'm trying to get across, and she actually makes my work better. Thank you, Nicola. Okay, she actually makes my work better because she's able to translate, you know, words into images, and she's able to say things that I don't need to say with the, with the, with the text. So for picture book authors in particular, your illustrations need to do more than just repeat what the text says. Your illustration needs to continue the story um, or continue like a subtext in the story while the text is dealing with one particular um, issue or matter. Um, for Cobb the Antelope, for example, I worked with Arwa Ali because I love her watercolors. She does really um, nice watercolors. And um, I commissioned this um, painting of uh, the map of Nigeria. I like the way she, I like the way she does things. I like her eye. And I thought she was able to capture Cobb and all the, his travails with the hyenas and everything. And um, one of my favorite images is the one at the end of Cobb and his mum when they reunite. So I didn't work with the same illustrator because I was looking for a different effect right? A, you know, different look and feel. Um, for Toby Visits the Conservatory and for Why Do You Wash Your Hands, I worked with different illustrators yet again because I wanted a different style. I wanted something that was more familiar, um, uh, you know, with our environment so that the, the um, illustrations would be as um, true to life, um, as naturally realistic as possible. Um, so select your illustrator carefully. That's number five. Okay. Number six is the editing process. Recently, I learned that there are seven different um, levels of drafts that a writer is supposed to go through before you actually reach the stage when you have a manuscript that you can present to a publisher. Now, you may think seven. Oh my, wow, who has the time for that? But if you are interested in putting out your best work and not putting out things that have errors, then you may want to pay attention to um, the seven draft mantra, all right? And um, I'm going to give full credit here to um, Alison K. Williams, um, also known as the unkind editor. That's actually one of her monikers, the unkind editor, because she will tell you the truth about your manuscript. Um, so she talks about the vomit draft, 
right, being the first draft that you pr produce. That is, you have this idea, bleh, you just vomit it out, just type it out real quick before you forget. Just put something on paper. Then the second draft, she calls it the story draft, right? That's where you fill in the gaps, you improve the continuity of the story. So if A goes to B, then B goes to C and so on and so forth. That's draft number two. Number three is the character draft, right? The motivation and things like that. Obviously, this applies more to adult chapter books, but the same principle can be um, applied to writing books for children as well. Number four is the technical draft, right? Where you make sure things are correct, you know, grammar and all of that. Number five is like your personal draft, right? That's the personal edit where you clean it up on paper, right? Number six is the friend draft when you ask a friend to read it for you and ask you questions about what you've written to make sure that what you've written actually makes sense. And number seven, that's the professional draft. When you give it to a professional uh, editor, you actually pay for it, pay the editor um, to read it professionally. And when they do, please don't be offended by what they say. Um, you are emotionally attached to your work. They are not. So they can be very objective and tell you um, what they think. Um, one thing I've learned is that it doesn't matter how good you are yourself um, at grammar, at reading, at English, lang, English lit. There's always a typo in there. And for whatever reason, you don't see it. Maybe because you've read that page so many times. You need to get somebody else to read it. Fresh pair of eyes. You need to read it aloud. Get other people to read it aloud and see what it sounds like. Time yourself. How long does it take? Is it something that would be conducive to bedtime story time? Will parents love it? Will grandparents love it? Um, do the illustrations um, speak to the continuity of the story, to the relevance of the story? Are, are the illustrations helping with developing the sub-story? Um, is it succinct? Um, it may seem counterintuitive, but these picture books are actually harder to write and to complete and to develop than regular books, right? Because you have to be more economic with your words. Um, every word should count. You don't have room for any superfluous words. So you more than the author for um, adult fiction chapter books, you children's writer, you need the editor, you need the edit process more. And of course, like I said, with every round of edits um, should come a fresh set of feedback. Um, from yourself to yourself and from others to you. Emotionally separate yourself from your work. Yes, every single word there is brilliant and every single word there is important to you, but you want the best version of your thoughts and ideas to actually come out, right? It improves your chance of getting published by an established publisher. All right, so that's point number six, edit. Point number seven, the cocoa of the matter, as we say, sales. You need to discover what is the best route to market. Now, recently we all went through um, lockdown, um, unprecedented in our lifetime anyway, where you know entire cities would be told, stay at home, everybody stay at home, businesses shut down, everything shut down. And it forced many of us book publishers to go online 
because we couldn't get our physical books out there, right? There was no movement at one point. So best route to market now includes online. In fact, your online market is probably now your primary market. And if it isn't, you really need to give it due consideration. That may be your best route to market. So prior to COVID, you know, if I were giving this, um, this talk, I would talk about whether your best route is through your publisher, whether it's through um, a literary agent in, in other countries. And I hope that we'll see this also develop in Nigeria and West Africa and all of Africa. Um, th there are active literary agents. Um, I was recently on a panel where uh, with two literary agents um, who've set up an agency called the Accord Literary Agency. And it's specifically for African children's book writers, um, African writers generally, but specifically they are interested in children's book writers. Um, and they want to represent uh, the best really on the international um, stage. So you need to figure out what is your best route to market? Is it going to look for a literary agent to help get your book in front of um, publishers all over the world? Is it finding a local um, literary agent or an international literary agent? Is it finding um, a publisher yourself? Is it publishing the book by yourself? If you are part of a network, I'll give you an example. I have a friend, we went to university together and um, he is based in a different country and he's head of a very, very large NGO that spans all over the world. I mean, all over the world. And um, he had an idea for a children's book and then he had an idea to translate it into every single language. So he asked his friends in that organization in different countries, oh, please translate into the language that is spoken in your country. And in less than three months or so, his children book has become, I think, maybe the number one or the number two most translated book um, in the world, right? And he did it by leveraging on networks. If he had waited to go through a publisher, he may not have had that same level of um, response uh, and speed um, to market. Though having said that, I think his book is actually distributed for free, I'm not sure. But the point I'm trying to make is this, if you have existing networks, you can leverage on those networks to distribute your books. Your best route to market may not necessarily be through a traditional publisher. You may be able to move more copies of your book than a traditional publisher. But having said that, eight times out of 10, going through a traditional publisher um, is probably the best route to market. Now that eBooks are gaining ascendancy, um, there's an eBook platform called Smashwords that you should check out. And um, the gentleman that started Smashwords, um, I think his name is Matt Coker. Um, he, or Coker, I'm not sure, but he's very active on um, Twitter. And he sends out very useful tweets about ways you can get your book to market. And he, he seems to be like a, the, an evangelist for, um, for eBooks. He's called to people who self-publish and he, he gives you step-by-step -step instructions on how to get your books um, to market. All right. So figure out the best route to market, how you can actually get paid for your work. Um, is it doing book readings before lockdown? I used to do a lot of book readings. I, I got a lot of invitations to come to schools and different events and come and read my books. And I sold the most books through the book readings, but COVID happened. 
lockdown happened, pandemic changed everything. You know, we went from nice sales to zero, literally zero sales. And we had to rapidly up our game online, you know, so that we could keep the business open, keep paying salaries and so on and so forth. Right? So is your best route to market through television? Do you need to take out um, TV ads? Is it social media? Do you want to promote on social media? Is it direct sales? You selling directly one-to-one? Is it through bookstores and so on and so forth? Is it through, uh, through schools? And if it's through schools, is it private schools, public schools, international schools, and so on and so forth, right? So think through all these things. What is your best route to market? It may not necessarily be the most obvious one, but by the time you've um, done a little bit of research yourself, you'll be able to figure it out. All right. So attributes of a best-selling children's book. We've talked about the seven, um, the seven points. All right. Detail, decide, read, write, select, edit sales. All right. So now I'm going to tell you a little bit about the attributes of a best-selling children's book. All right. And I'm going to use the Gruffalo by Julia Donaldson and Axel Scheffler, um, um, for this illustration. Um, many of you, if you're, um, familiar with children's publishing, you will be familiar with this book. Or if you're a parent or grandparent, you'll be familiar with this book. Um, it's one of the best-selling, probably the, maybe, you know, I dare not say that, but it's one of the best-selling children's books, uh, children's picture books in the world, translated into a myriad of languages, um, it follows all those basic parameters, right? 32 pages, colorful illustration, a clear audience, right? Simple text, word brevity. It has cadence. It has rhyme. You know, it's, you know, almost like a song, right? And it's tightly edited. Every single word matters. Okay. So if you want an example of a, an excellent an excellently produced, excellently written children's picture book, Take a look at The Gruffalo by Julia Donaldson and Axel Scheffler. All right. So once again, recap and, and then we're done. So um, number one, detail, research the sector. Number two, decide which category, which age, what purpose. Are you going to self-publish? Are you going to seek a publisher? Decide. Are you going to come out as ebook only? Are you going to do ebook and printed copies? Which one's going to come out, come out first, the ebook or the printed copy? Which platforms are you going to be on? All of these things matter. Okay, so decide. Number three, read. Read copious amounts of industry material. And now, in the day of, in the age of podcasts, excuse me, there are plenty of podcasts for publishing, for authors, for self-published authors, and so on and so forth. So read and listen to uh, useful podcasts. Number four, you start writing. Um, step four, not step one. Number five, select your illustrator very carefully. Number six, edit, possibly the most important step. And number seven, figure out your best route to market. So I want to say thank you very much for joining me today for this workshop on writing, engaging children's books. I hope it's been helpful. And I will now take any questions that you may have. Um, and if you, if your question doesn't get answered um, on air, just type in um, what you would like to know into the chat box and somebody will respond as soon as possible.
Okay, so that's actually a really good question. That's a great question, actually. I've just been asked um, about people sharing books. Um, somebody wants to know how do they protect their material from being, you know, uh, distributed without, you know, their permission or without them earning any remuneration um, for it. Um, is that a form of privacy? Piracy, excuse me. Um, okay, so two things. I've noticed that a lot of people put their content on YouTube and it's for free. Like a lot of singers and whatever, they, 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 they put it out there for free. And in my mind at first, when, when the whole thing started, I'm like, ah, if you give away all this music for free, who's going to go and buy? What's the point? Why would you go and buy, you know, the album? But guess what? Putting their music out there for free has actually helped to improve sales. It's helped to introduce new people to that band, to that song, to that genre. And I think the same could apply to books, but with a caveat, because I'm also a publisher, right? The caveat is this, you need to do what you can to protect your book from being pirated, right? From people making pi um, pirate copies, right? Of your book. But at the same time, you have to sort of realize that which one is more important, getting more people to know about your book or, um, or just, you know, trying to hoard it <laughs> um, so that trying to protect it, you know, so much so that um, nobody can copy it and send it on to other people. There are things that you can do legitimately. Um, for example, with Clever Clogs books, anybody that buys one of our books, one of our eBooks, the books can be downloaded onto as many as five different devices, right? So we understand that in a family you want to share. So we've made provision for that. If we said no, you can only download it one time and it can only be on one device. I think that would be counter, uh, counterproductive. So we've made it available to people that, okay, fine, we trust you, five different devices. We're trusting that you're not selling it and, and that you're just sharing those five different downloads um, um, within members of your own family. So different publishers will have their own um, protocols of what they want to follow. But we've said, okay, fine, we'll allow you know, you buy one book, you can download it on five different devices. All right. So that's our way of saying we understand that if it were a physical book, somebody can see it and say, oh, I want to borrow your book. Right. And they borrow the book, they read it, they bring it back. So that's our little way of, you know, doing the let me borrow the book to read type thing. Um, and then I also noticed something else. Large publishers, right. When a big book comes out, like when uh, Michelle Obama's book um, Becoming came out, it was released for free. The first copy that I got was um, on a device and it was completely free. And a lot of books, a lot of political books that have come out this year as well, um, they've been free. I've had about three, four books that have been sent. Uh, they, they, I've seen them on WhatsApp, right? I, I'd like to think that it's the publisher that's doing this. I don't know. And I think it's a strategy. Again, they send it out there, get people talking about it. Buzz, 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 buzz. And then more people buy. You know, at least I think that's what I, I'm, I'm trying. I'm hoping that that's what's happening. And I'm hoping that those books were not pirated. Definitely for Becoming, it wasn't pirated. Definitely that one was given out for free. And even though it was given out for free, it still was a bestseller. So there's some sort of paradox going on about, you know, the more you sow, the more you reap, or the more you give out, the more you get back. I think that kind of paradox is at play here. Um, but with intellectual property, you have to do what you can to protect your own intellectual property. And um, it's a great question. Thank you. And I hope that answers your question. So it's been wonderful hanging out with you today for this workshop on writing engaging children's book. 
weeks at the Akada Children's Book Festival. Um, coming to you from Lagos, Nigeria. It is um, great to be here for a second year. I do hope that you enjoyed the session. Please, 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 comments, feedback, questions, type it into the chat box and we'll get back to you as soon as possible. And um, there's also a feedback button. Please um, give feedback on this session and you can get a certificate of attendance. So if you click on the certificate of attendance button as well, you'll be able to type out how you want your name to appear and a certificate will be sent out to you um, acknowledging that you've attended this workshop on um, writing engaging children's books or acknowledging that you've attended any of the workshops um, that you attend um, during the festival. Thank you ever so much and enjoy the rest of the day. Mm -hmm.